you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to open them, please, to the second gospel, the gospel of Mark. Just a moment, we're going to begin reading chapter 1, verse 9. The title of our message is Baptism of Jesus. As you're turning there, look up here. There's four Gospels in the Bible. Each one of those Gospel writers had a different personality and a different purpose when they wrote their book. Mark's Gospel is a get-up-and-go Gospel. Fast-paced, full of action, quick transition, loaded with miracles. His purpose is to grab you, to hold you, to convince you, to convert you, and to change you. Jesus. And it was written to you and I. It was written to non-Gentiles, non-Jews, Romans in his day, Greeks in his day, but you and I today. So if you're looking for something relevant and real, you found it in the Gospel of Mark. I see my name there and I see yours. Why you you and I. Mark chapter 1, beginning with verse 9. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John the Baptist in the Jordan. And straightway coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens open and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son, and whom I am well. John introduces us to Jesus, or excuse me, Mark introduces us to Jesus in one verse. Then he spends some other verses, as we saw last week, to introduce us to the greatest prophet ever born of a woman, John the Baptist. And now he moves on quickly to the baptism of Jesus himself. Now I want you to understand that the baptism of Jesus is important. How do we know? Because number one, the travel, it took Jesus to get there. Many people believe our Lord traveled upwards to 60 miles not by car, not by bus, not by plane, but on foot, largely. He traveled over 60 miles through the wilderness area of Israel. It was a long journey. It was an arduous journey. It was a dangerous journey. But he saw need to do it that he could have John the Baptist baptize him in the Jordan River. A long journey. That tells us baptism was important to Jesus. But also baptism was important to Jesus not only because of the travel, but because of the inauguration that was going to take place. Our Lord, up to this point, has not been introduced as the Messiah of Israel. 
He is now about to begin his three and a half year ministry to declare and to demonstrate to one and all he indeed is the son of the living God. And he's going to begin that ministry not with the preaching crusade, not with a miracle healing service, not with a parade, not with a pep rally. He's going to introduce himself to the people that he came to save by being baptized. John's baptism of Jesus would begin his public ministry. So we know it was important to Jesus to be baptized because of the travel, how long it took him to get there, and the difficulties of it. We know it was important to Jesus because he goes there for his inauguration. John had said the kingdom was here. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're going to have the kingdom, you've got to have the king. And here he is. It's also important. Because of the guest list that came. Hundreds of people were there to see John, to hear John, to be baptized by John. So they're going to have a, a front row seat, if you will, to see the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world be baptized as well. But there's others there that have never showed up in any other baptism that I know of. They came to witness the baptism. They came to approve the baptism. They came to amen the baptism. If you look at your verse, it says in verse 11 who they are. God the Father came. God the Father spoke at the baptism of Jesus. Now Sam does a pretty good job speaking when we baptize around here. Can you imagine if God the Father spoke at one of our baptisms? He spoke in the baptism of Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit came and put on the show. He came in the form of an eagle. Some of you. Y'all ought to see you as I see you up here. Came in the form of a dove. Descended down to glory. Probably landed on the shoulders of Jesus. Baptism of Jesus was attended by the people who came to see John. They got an extra bonus that day. It was attended by God the Father who spoke. Attended by God the Holy Spirit who put on a show. It's also interesting that it says in verse 10. <coughs> That the heavens open. That word for open is an interesting word, church. It means open to allow something to go through. And that's exactly what happened. The Spirit of God came through. The voice of God the Father came But it also means something else. This is interesting. It means to open up something for the purpose of looking through it. May I submit to you the angels of glory were watching this. Jesus, the crowd
of heaven. They knew him for all eternity. He's now a man. And he's now being baptized. And I'm sure those angels sat there and wondered. So we know baptism was important to Jesus because of the travel, because of the inauguration, because of the attendees who came to it. But lastly, we also know it was important to him because he spoke of baptism among the last words he would ever speak. You know, a man's last words are usually a good reflection of what's in his mind and on his heart. What his thoughts are about, what his feelings are toward. And in Matthew 28, in a section of scripture we call the Great Commission, this is among the last words we have of what Jesus would say before he would leave this world and go back to heaven. And by the way, the same Jesus that went up is coming back again. He comes back before this service is over. One of you volunteered to finish the message for me. I'll leave the notes here for you. Some of you said, I don't understand. Ask somebody after the service. <laughs> Jesus spoke of going out in Matthew 28, bringing people to himself, and then baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy You see, baptism was on the mind and heart of Jesus as he began his ministry. And as he closed out. So get it down, be plain and straight. Baptism was important to Jesus. And what is important to Jesus, help me out, ought to be important to who? Us. Now we're going to be thinking about the baptism of Jesus. But more than that, we're going to be talking about what it should mean to you and I who claim to be followers. Three things I want to lay on your heart this morning about baptism. The first is the meaning of baptism. The meaning of baptism. The word baptism is a derivative from the word baptize. And both words mean to fully immerse, to completely give someone or something under the law. The word, however derivative it's used for, means to fully, completely immerse or dip someone or something under a pool of law. In fact, the original word was not used in religious terms until a little bit later on. It was used in Jesus' day primarily to talk about dyeing fabrics and washing dishes. Let me explain. Suppose you were a lady in Jesus' day and you were going to a Valentine function at your church. And the priest announced that everybody needed to wear a red blouse. Well, you've got a white blouse 
court next to you. So what are you going to do? You can't just run out and buy a red blouse. You can't order it. What do you do? You get you some dye. And you dye your white blouse red. So when you go to the Valentine motion at your temple, the priest will be happy and you'll look like everybody else. Now it doesn't take a rocket science to figure out that if you're going to dye a white blouse to turn it red, that you put the entire white blouse underneath the dye. Amen? If you just put half of it under there, you'll have half white and half red. Probably wouldn't look very good. If you just sprinkle a little bit of dye over it, you'll have a polka dot shirt. If you go to turn a white blouse into a red blouse, you take the blouse and you completely dip it, immerse it underneath all of the dye. That's how the word was used at times. It was also used in washing dishes, as I told you. Now, if I went to your house, I would expect you to fully wash the plate that I'm going to eat out of. To fully wash the cup that I'm going to drink out of. If you told me, Pastor, all I did from the last dinner we had is I just dipped it in the water. I got half of it, Pastor. Eat off that half. And I see lipstick on my glass. She said, Pastor, don't worry about it. The other half's clean. I washed half of it. I just stuck it in the water and pulled it out. Or maybe you didn't wash either of them. You just sprinkled some gone detergent. If you're going to clean a plate, you fully immerse it in the water. Amen? If you're going to clean a glass, you fully immerse it in the water. That's what the word baptized meant in Jesus' day. To completely die a garment. To completely wash a dish. So when Jesus comes on the scene and John the Baptist, John the Baptist is baptizing in the Jordan River and Jesus is baptized, nobody thinks about sprinkling. They understand it is going to be a full, complete, Dipping immersion of the someone that is being baptized. Now I said immersion, I didn't say submersion. Okay, there is a difference. Immersion means you go down, but you come up quick. Submersion means you go down, but you don't come up quick. Okay, we immerse people in baptism, we submerge sufferings. Okay? Sam baptizes, he, he immerses, he goes. If he was to submerse our candidates, he'd go. <laughs> but Jesus was immersed in his baptism. He was completely put under the waters of the Jordan. Because that's what the word means. That's what was implied in Jesus' name. Baptism meant to be fully immersed, be completely dipped under the water of whatever that water would be. 
million dollar question. Why do some sprinkle today instead of baptize? Well, generally speaking, the reason is this. Now, there's different exceptions, but generally speaking, there's two reasons. The primary reason is that we have some denominations and some churches and some religious groups today who believe that salvation, listen to your pastor, is not by faith in Christ and Christ alone and repentance of sin. They believe that salvation is through the observance of sacrament. That you must put your faith in Christ, you must repent of your sin, but that in and of itself is not enough. You have to add to and complete your salvation through a process of other things that include baptism. In other words, if you are not baptized, you cannot be fully saved, you cannot be fully forgiven, you cannot be fully the son and daughter of God, you cannot go to heaven when you die. It's a sacramental salvation. And when you have that mindset of theology that's never taught anywhere in the Bible, it comes out of the imagination of some man. Whenever you have that, you've got a problem. Suppose you want your babies to be saved because you believe that parents can save their babies. Grandparents can save their babies. They may not have anything to do with it. That's okay. You can do it. Now, if that be what you believe, then there's something to do. And if you believe that baptism is necessary for salvation, as some do, then you've got a problem with a six-month-old baby, do you not? You can't take that six-month-old baby and drop it into a tub of water and hold it under. Department of Social Services will be there to take that baby. And rightly so. <coughs> if you believe that, you've got a problem. If you're trying to minister to soldiers in a combat situation on a battlefield, and suppose you're a chaplain and you've got a soldier that's, that's fatally wounded, he's dying, and he's crying out to God. If you believe that baptism is necessary for him to be saved, not just calling upon the name of the Lord, he's got to get baptized. Well, where are you going to get a baptism pool out there in the middle of combat? So just like you sprinkle the baby as a substitute, you sprinkle the soldier as a substitute. He's got to be baptized or he can't be saved. So you change what the word means to suit the need. Suppose you're an elderly person and you can't get out of your house. You can't get out of your apartment, but you want to be saved. Calling upon the name of the Lord can't save you by itself. You've got to be baptized. But you can't come down here and get that baptism pool. So we'll substitute the sprinkling at your house. And I could go on and on. You see the point I'm making? That's how sprinkling first came about. Because people began to have a sacramental view of salvation. And baptism became one of the sacraments. Not all of them, but one of them. And without baptism, you can't be saved. 
So we got to make sure we can say to everybody that wants to be saved or don't want to be saved that we want to be saved. You know one particular denomination baptized today? I'm hard to take a dead person and push him under the water. But it's not so hard to open up their casket and sprinkle a few drops on And so that's how it came about. And then others picked it up through the years. You don't believe it's a part of salvation, but it just became a matter of convenience. It's a whole lot easier to sprinkle water on somebody than it is to immerse them. But understand the meaning of the word. The meaning of the word is to fully place someone or something under now let's move on and talk about something else quickly. Misconceptions about heaven. Now, the first misconception I've already spoken on, so I won't stay a lot more on it, but it's the misconception or the outright deception that in order to be saved, you have to be baptized. I told you the Bible's clear about it. What the church would be a whole lot better off if instead of listening to what denominations say and what big, big religious people say, if we just listen to what the Bible says. For by grace we are saved through faith. That not of yourselves. It is a gift from God, not of any works, lest you know. What Paul is saying is this. Salvation starts with God, His grace. It continues with God as He gives us the faith to believe in His Son Jesus and all that Jesus is and all that Jesus did. And it's completed when we respond positively. It starts with God. It continues with God. It finishes with God. Being confident of this very thing, he that began to work in me will continue to work in me until the day that I'm no longer here. I'm with him in Christ Jesus. Philippians 1 6. See, whenever you try to take anything and add it on to save by grace through faith, you're getting a works salvation. You're moving toward a sacramental salvation. Uh, he did it and I did it salvation. Are you listening to me? Salvation is all of God. You can't add anything to it or complete it. It's all of God. He comes. You know, he comes to us. I didn't wake up one morning and say, I'm going to come to God and get saved. He came to me. But I would not come to where Jesus was. He called me. I didn't call him. I didn't get on my phone and say, hey, Lord, this is Jim Palmer. I'd like you to save me. He called me first. He called my name. He called your name that day you were saved. And probably called it a whole lot more before and then he got conviction of our sin. I never convicted myself of sin because I never sinned. Don't 
was always somebody else's fault. But there came a time in my life when I saw my sin was my sin. I'm responsible for it. I must own up to it. I can't blame somebody. Who gave me the ability to see that? He did. He comes. He calls. He convicts. When I called upon the name of the Lord, I said, Lord, I understand. Save me. He saved me. He did the saving. I did the sinning. He did the saving. And then he brought about the change. The old Jim Palmer died in 1979, and up out of the ground came a new Jim And you can say the same thing if you were saved. The old man died, and a new person now lives for that old man. He did it all. And to try to add, listen to me, to try to add baptism or anything else to his saving grace and to our faith in Christ and Christ alone is heresy. There'll be nobody who walks around in heaven saying, yeah, I'm in heaven. Jesus saved me, but I got baptized and get it together. That ain't the way it work. The man of God he did it all. So misconception number one about baptism is it can save you or add to your salvation or complete your salvation. Erroneous, false. But also there's another deception, real quick misconception, if you will. And that, well, if it doesn't add to our salvation, if it doesn't complete our salvation, then it's not important. Why should I need to do it? Baptism was important to Jesus, was it not? What's important to Jesus should be important to us. What is the purpose of baptism? Well, what's the purpose of this wedding ring I wear on my finger? This wedding ring doesn't make me married. It tells you that I'm married. It's a public testimony, a, a public confession, if you will, that Randy is my wife. I am a married man. If I was to put on a keen hat and wear it around up here, and by the way, some of you have been trying to pick out of me who am I for in the Super Bowl? Am I a 49er guy? You know, am I, who am I rooting for in the Super Bowl? Well, I want to go on record because right now I'll just go ahead and say this as I go on the message. I believe with all my heart the San Francisco Chiefs are going to win. <laughs> Sunday school teacher 
for Jesus. <laughs> Picture. You can't get that picture in any other way of doing it except 
God works on the same principle. If he tells us we need to do something and we refuse to do it, then he will advance us further. Some of us have been riding tricycles of all kinds. When you could have the keys to that Corvette of God. But you won't listen. Jesus was baptized. He didn't need to be. He was obedient to the Father. Very speaking to talk about. He did not need to be baptized. Not because it saves us. Not because it makes us more holy. But because it winds us up with his obedience. It identifies us with him. And tells others who we are. It's about us.